Let us pray. We come to you today as our Father. And we may, because that is how you introduce yourself to us in the Bible. For many people, God is this strange someone somewhere. And sometimes they are somewhat concerned about him because he may have wrath, anger, punishment in his mouth or in his hands. But you come to us and you say, I'm just but a dad. A dad that wants his children to come home. A dad that wants his children to discover that only with him and in him there is purpose and hope and life. The way that you call us is not only through your voice, but you called us through your Son to come to this world and to look us in the eye and say, but I am the answer for you to know the Father. So thank you always for your love and your grace. Thank you for even thinking about us on the small world that we call earth. Thank you for being involved in our own personal life stories even though they do not always pan out in the way that we want, we know that you are with us as we journey with you. And Lord, as we are continuing today to think about life in a time like this and to be a church in a time like this, and our time is not that special. Times like these have always been and will be where we are a bit confused and worried. Help us that as we're going to discover the story, that surrounds you, that this story will also be of meaning to all of us as we sit here in your presence. You are with us. What an amazing thought. And we thank you for this. Bless us as we seek your will. Amen. So I was a bit surprised when Luis and I, I think it was in the 80s, 1989, came to America for the first time when I discovered that at the top of the steeple of Reformed churches you would find a cross. That was really strange to us, because we came from South Africa, and if you go to any Reformed church in South Africa, what you will find on top of the steeple is a rooster. And if you go to Europe, to any church in Germany, or even in France, or even in the Netherlands, and you are looking for a Reformed church, you do not look for a cross, you look for a rooster. And there's a reason for that. Actually, two reasons. The first reason is that when the Reformation took place, they wanted people to know which one of the church that's in town is a Reformed church and which one is then a Roman Catholic church. Roman Catholic church, cross. Reformed church, rooster at the steeple. But there's a second reason, and the reason is that the rooster also then meant for the people within Reformed tradition something about the story of Peter. It brings us to what happened between Christ and Peter when Peter had this interaction with Jesus. And that's what I'm going to read today, and then you'll discover my whole story about the rooster and the cross. So let's continue. I call this Peter's mishap. And Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this day, this very night, 
before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warning him, warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were the Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. He went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. The servant girl, once seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Hey, suddenly, you are one of them. You are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down. He wept. So that's normally how my sermons look like that I preach. Now, those, you can't well see, the screen is a bit small, you know. It's like, um, I'm just kidding you, it's like uh, they say about Abraham in the book of Hebrews. He did not, did not know where he was going to end after he took off, you know. So that's not a typical sermon for today, but I want you to know this. It's going to be a more complicated sermon. Introduction. I have three storylines that I need to address. They are sort of separate, and then we'll come back at the end to the application that I, I will share then with you. Let's start with the profound person. Peter, the leader of the disciples. We know Peter well. He's strong. He's physically, emotionally, and maybe then spiritually a strong man. He's the one that talks without thinking. We've heard this a number of times from Peter. He would put his foot in his mouth, we would say, in many ways. But his heart is in the right place because he wants to serve. He wants to serve the kingdom of God. Actually, no, he wants to defend the kingdom of God. And time and time again, if you look at Peter, that is what he's saying. He says, Lord, you can't do this because this now needs to happen. Peter, in a way, took ownership of the kingdom of God. When the Lord met Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was the one that said, let's build some tabernacles or little tents or little dwelling places for these folks that are now here because I think it will be great for them to stay here. And the Lord said, you have no idea what you're talking about, Peter. The Lord says to Peter, my road ahead, and he said this to all the disciples, are going to be a difficult journey, a little bit more complicated. And Peter comes and he says, before I deny, I will die. That's what he's saying. Before I deny, I will die. I will die falling the sword for you because this can't happen. This next steps can't happen. And we know the story of Malchus. Malchus, the high priest's servant that John writes about, that when they came to arrest Jesus, who took out his sword and cut off his ear? Peter did. You'll find the story in all four Gospels. Mark, the first one. Matthew, that wrote, then Luke, and then John. That's the sequence of how these Gospels were written. John at the end says, with the other three, says, someone took his sword and cut off uh, Malchus' ear. John tells us, and that was Peter again. Peter. Now, I do not know if you are trying to kill someone. Why do you cut off his ear? You know, I, I do not know how that. I, I need to practice that at home a little bit. I do not understand. 
He is defending the kingdom of God. That's what he believes he should do. In a time like this, do you know how many people I know that feel guilty sitting in a church like you do? Because what have you done for the Lord? I've had countless of people say to me, I don't think I've done anything really for the kingdom. I can't really witness. I can't really do what I think I should do. And many times I walk away from a conversation. I think I should have said that and I didn't say it. And I have this guilt that I should have changed somebody's life or done something. When I was a, a kid, we would have these worship services during uh, the time of Pentecost in South Africa. For ten evenings in a row, you will have a worship service between the ascension of our Lord and between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Day. It starts on the Thursday, ends on the Sunday. And during those ten days, we would have a worship service and a prayer service. And then we would sing this song, and it's now loosely translated of what the Afrikaans is. Can I come with empty hands? Can I meet my Lord like this? No one led to Jesus. No soul to place at his feet. Wouldn't sleep that night. <laughs> Wouldn't sleep that night. I'm singing the song in church. I am coming to Jesus and I have no soul to sacrifice or to bring at his feet that I've led to Christ. But then I became a pastor. And you can ask Louise how many times I would say to her, am I not responsible for all of these people? Sleepless nights for me. When I was called to my first church, we had 600 members. When I left, we had 2,700 members, so 2,700 people. And I met, I struggled because when I left, we had 1,000 people at least would be in a worship service in the morning, in two services. But I asked myself, am I now responsible for all of these folks and their souls? When I was called to this church in 2000, I start in April, 1st of May, sorry, 1st of May 2001. I remember the pulpit nominating committee asked me, are you going to grow this church? Do you know what my answer was? I don't grow anything. Because I can't. You see, when I was a young pastor, I read a verse one evening that changed my whole life. I read a verse, I'm not going to read it to you now, but trust me, it's in the Bible, it's in Matthew where the Lord says, the kingdom of God is like a guy that sowed his seed, and he went to bed, and he slept, and then the crop grew, and eventually he had the harvest at the end. And I realized that's the only task I have as a child of God, is to sow the seed, to plant the seed. I can't produce the crop. That's God's work. That's God's work. That's not my work. And that's what Peter did not understand. Peter thought that he's the one that actually is going to control the kingdom of God. He has it in his hands and he doesn't have it. I do not have God's kingdom in my hands. I only can serve the kingdom of God the best way I can and God will take it wherever he wants it. So I'm going to share with you one or two more things, not about my sermon, but about this church when we have our lunch a little bit later, later, later on the outside uh, in the fellowship hall. About what I believe God wants to do with this church. Not 30. Because it's not mine, it's not yours. It actually belongs to him. The second thing that we find in the story, third storyline, is a profane person. 
on the one hand, profound. Peter is this really strong guy that we look up to that was really this leader, and now we find a profound, uh, a profane person. A servant girl comes up to Peter. Now, there's a problem with this. Uh, there are two words, servant and girl, that is complicated already, because uh, as a woman, you didn't have much standing in those days. Women can't even go to the square without a husband. They couldn't really do any, any trading, whatever, or, because they just had, they were seen as people with less value. If you were a servant girl, then it means that you were a slave of a slave. Because all of the people that were part of the Roman Empire actually were the slaves of the Romans. Now, if you have someone working for you and you're a slave and you've got someone working for you, so you're actually a slave of a slave, if you understand what I'm trying to, to explain here. A servant girl of almost no value comes then to Peter and she says to him, but you are one of them. And then we find a very interesting thing that he starts to curse and swear. Do not know what he said, why, whatever word, by the temple, whatever. I swear I do not know this person. But a lot of profanity came out of his mouth because he was a sailor. <laughs> he was a fisherman. It seems to me you can't catch fish without cussing sometimes. And Peter started to cuss. And you know what's the most interesting thing? He just became a, a fisherman again. And then he was left alone. So, so they all knew. They saw him. It's Peter. You can't really hide. He's a Galilean. He's got the accent. You know, accents are somewhat distinguishable sometimes. Um, he's got the accent. He's got everything. They know he's with Jesus. And then after he started cursing and saying what he said, they left him alone. He became one of them again. To sound like them. Um, I've heard again recently staggering numbers of how many people are not attending church anymore. There's a small group of people, the millennials, that actually are, some of them are finding their way back to church. That's uh, interesting. There was a study done by the Barna group recently, and they said there are some young people that actually are online. They won't come to a building like this, but they would, would online start to find their way back to, to religious things because they are looking for an answer, because they are finding out that this world really can't give the answers that people are looking for. But on the other hand, there's these numbers that come out in all the denominations, not only ours, that the churches are actually, the denominations are really not doing that well. Why are le people leaving us alone or them alone? Because we sound exactly like the others, like the world. I've listened to some conversations with my clergy friends. I've listened to some sermons sometimes when I have time online, some churches, and I am sometimes surprised to find out that the, the, world, the, wor the words that they speak sound exactly like the media. They actually are proclaiming a message that's not from the Bible, but a message that's from the world. And they are not cussing or swearing, but they sound exactly like the world does. And the moment when you sound exactly like the world do, then there is no appeal for anyone to come to listen to, to you because you've got nothing else more to offer than the world does. If you and I, as profound people, as children of God, go live in the world as profane people, then nobody would really come to us for an answer. 
And what does it mean to be a profane people in my sermon context? It means that when I'm in my business or at school or wherever I am, I'm actually speaking the same language as they do. I do not have a moral code or an ethical conduct. I just look like them. I sound like them. They don't care for me because I'm not different. I'm not different. That's why they left Peter alone. How can he be a follower of Christ if he talks like this? If he speaks like this, if he cusses like this, how can he be a follower of Jesus if he sounds like this? I've asked myself the question, maybe that's the reason why the church has lost its prophetic voice in this world, because the voice that the church is speaking with is not prophetic anymore, but, but pathetic, because we speak the words of the world. What do I mean by this? Is that in this congregation, you guys know this, you know me well, we will follow biblical principles because I believe in the Word of God as the guidance for our lives. And I believe that there's right and there's wrong and there's sin and there's punishment and there's all of these things that the Bible teaches, not I'm thinking out. And I'm fearless to talk to you about sin and about Satan, about devil and hell because I believe those things are in the Bible for a reason for us to know who God is and God's journey with us. But I love to talk about love and grace and salvation and the death of Christ, all of those things that is also part of the Bible, but you can't lose half of it or leave it out. And just talk what the world wants to hear. Because eventually there's nothing that will bring anyone through that door if we are just exactly the same as the world out. The third storyline, a rooster crows. So the Lord said to Peter, he said, you know, he said, I will die before I deny. And, and, and the Lord says to him, Peter, you're going to learn a very valuable lesson tonight. And the lesson is that you are not the defender of the kingdom of God, firstly, and secondly, you're not as strong as you think you are. Because you can't do it on your own. You see, Peter really thought he could do this with his sword and with his attitude and with his power. He can go and do whatever he wants to. He could later on, but not now. And that was when the Holy Spirit actually took over. And he allowed the Spirit of God to really move in him. And then he was fearless. But I'll get to that in a moment. Not, not many minutes from now, just a moment. But the rooster crowed the first time, and that was just a warning. Of course, that's how God walk, works with us. God wants to guide us on our journey. He wants to remind us of who we are. And, and, and God always wants to work in some way, shape, or form to tell us, I'm present in your world. Now, how, how, how does God... Okay, let, let me just go. I'll say that in the next thing. Then there was this confirmation when the, when the rooster crowed, crowed for the second time. It was a confirmation that, you know... The Lord said, Peter, you can't do this on your own. And then he discovered, I can't. And then we find that he had this broken heart and he wept. And then there's the forgiveness in John 21 that I'm not going to read now. And that's part of the story of the rooster, isn't it? On the church steeple. You can't do it in your own power. It needs to be in the power of God. And, and sometimes you may fail, but there's always a way back. Through repentance, there's a way back because in John 21, what happened? The Lord stood in front of Peter and said to him, do you love me? And Peter said, absolutely. Lord says, let my sheep wander or let my sheep eat. And then he said, do you love me? For the second time, he said, let my lambs eat. And then the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, why are you asking this 
this, this to me constantly in the Lord said to him, because I love you. That's what actually this whole thing was about. The Lord said to Peter, I forgive you. Because actually what you were trying to do were not yours. It was always God's work that you were trying to do. You can't try to do God's work. So what is the modern rooster? A lot of people think they can, they can rely on their conscience. If I do wrong, I will know it. That's nonsense. If I grew up in a house where my dad took me out every weekend to steal car radios in the old days, do you think it would bother me to steal a car radio? Absolutely not. That's all I know. Weekends, yay, car radios, let's go. I run away from the cops. Quite exciting it is. If my dad didn't do that, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. He would never do that. He was, he was a fine man. If you grew up in a house where your parents were cussing and doing all kinds of really sinful things, do you think your conscience will bother you when you do the same thing? No. Our consciences are aligned with the world that we grew up in that installed in us some values and some codes, but those values and codes are not always aligned with the Word of God. So if you grew up in a house where your parents were really Bible-believing people and they, they raised you with biblical principles, then your conscience may bother you sometimes because it's not in alignment with what you were raised in and how you, know, you, you see life. So how do I really know what the warning is? The Word of God. You see, the closer I live to the Word of God, the easier it is for the Holy Spirit to say, to say to me, stay away from that. Don't do this. Because the Holy Spirit actually works through the Word of God because the Lord said this in John 14. He says, I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit is coming to remind you of what I said that you will know what the right thing is to do. And to be a follower of Jesus. And what really does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And that is what Peter had to discover that evening. To be a follower of Jesus means to be humble. It needs to mean that I actually will listen to what he said to me. Because when the Lord said, this is going to happen to me, and this is part of kingdom's, the kingdom's plan, they should have said, our heart breaks for you. What can we do? Not say, we are going to take this over. They should have listened to what Christ told them at that point. But we don't want to listen, do we? We've got the answers. A follower of Jesus means that at some point, you and I need to humbly bow just before the Word of God and say, Lord, help me to discover what I need to know about you, about your kingdom, and about myself. My final slide. So what does a rooster mean for you and me sitting in this church today? I don't think we should go and replace the cross with a rooster. I think that'll be really funny. I think the people won't understand, what are these guys up to? Is this now a new chicken place? You know, can we, can we get some fried chicken here? But what does a rooster really mean for us? It reminds us of the humanity that God understands that you and I sometimes struggle with. Many times I've failed. Many times you fail in our walk with Christ, in our walk with God. 
The coolest thing is that God warns me. He says, Freddie, you will fail. Sometimes you will fall. You will not be as strong as you think you are. Sometimes you will not be able to think and say what you think you should. And I felt terrible sometimes as a pastor where I would walk away from a conversation and didn't say what I thought I should. I just didn't feel like talking about the stuff they were talking. I said, I should have said something. Then the Lord smiles and looks at me and he says, Freddie, you should have said something, but it's okay. It's my kingdom. It is not yours. It's not yours. And as a pastor, to me, it's the most relieving thought to know that whenever I work in a congregation like here with you guys, it's not my church. I'm just here as a servant. I'm just here to point the way and to plant the seed and to sow a few seeds and then allow the kingdom of God to come into the lives of people that the Lord himself will bring the produce in and I can't bring it, but the Lord himself will do this. That's what the rooster means. Forgiveness. An understanding God. A loving God, but also a reminder of the fact how careful I need to live. And not to be so, ah, because I'm not our. And then the second thing. There's some people that do not know. I, I, I googled, you know, why there's a rooster on the church in Europe. And then guys writing travel blogs come up with answers. I think it's really funny. Because it's on the internet, it must be true. Uh, and one of them said, well, I think a rooster is actually on the church table because it, it announces the dawn and, and a new day, and maybe in Christ it's a new day for people. I thought, that's not too bad, but it's not biblical, but let's go for it. What I find in a rooster is there is really a, a new day for us. There is really this life in Christ that we have, that we can live joyfully. Peter wept, but I promised you for the rest of his life he smiled because he was forgiven. Forgiven by a God that he said to, I will die before I deny, and the Lord just smiled. And later on said, do you love me? And he said, of course I do, and the Lord said, I love you too. That's the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel. The story of a God that reaches out to us and says, Live carefully, my children. Follow me obediently. But know in me there's also forgiveness and love. It's my kingdom you are serving, never your own. Amen.